Hello everyone. Thanks for tuning in. You are listening to Captain Roy's Rusty Rocket Radio Show, the splendid UK geek podcast for science fiction, fantasy and horror geeks. Did I say geek enough? Have I plugged my pod enough? This is episode 448, recorded on Saturday, the 2nd of July, 2022, at 23.59.03. Yes, we have just made it before midnight, so that we can tape the second of three shows in our run-up to this podcast's 10-year anniversary, which is tomorrow, in about less than 30 seconds now. Tonight, we are talking about the Doctor Who story from 1980, titled Meglos. Yes, the revisit has returned. Let us begin with our rewatch journal. I used, well, I barely used, the handbook, the official and unauthorized guide to the production of Doctor Who, 2005, by... David J. Howe, Stephen James Walker, and James Stammers, to add a little bit of trivia to this episode. That's about all the time I had. I just ran out of time. I have been working feverishly to the last minute to bring you this episode. Before we start... I have a little additional information to the Leisure Hive revisit, which we covered in pod 445. There is a book called JN-T, colon, The Life and Scandalous Times of John Nathan Turner by a chap called Richard Marson a BBC former editor-in-chief of Blue Peter, and he has a lot of back knowledge of the BBC. In that, he accused JNT of abusing, or at least sexually exploiting, young fans of Doctor Who. If you remember Perry, who was the companion of the Fifth Doctor, played by Peter Davison, and the Sixth Doctor, played by Colin Baker, who was played by actress Nicola Bryant. Nicola Bryant had a well-publicised feud with JNT. JNT, though not my favourite producer, is, I think, not completely fairly, also widely blamed for the axing of the show in 1989. I should at this point reiterate that I'm a fan of the characters and stories, not the actors and the crew who make the show, although, of course, I do appreciate their work, which means I tend to lose interest in the -the behind-the-scenes gossip and shenanigans Obviously, I do not like the people who make the stuff that I like to be horrible. 
And though they often are, it doesn't change the fact that I still like the media. Though it may, of course, dent my enjoyment somewhat. We've talked about other controversies in Doctor Who before. I know that William Hartnell was not the most pleasant of chaps. And that scene in the... Oh, what was it? That recreation of how the first show was put together. Do you remember that? What was that? Inventions in Space and Time or something like that? And Patrick Troughton may or may not have had a drug problem. Tom Baker, I think it's fair to say, was a fairly cranky chap. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that goes on that I don't really talk about in this show. Not because it isn't important, or people don't have valid concerns when unethical behaviour occurs, but that the main focus of my interest in Doctor Who and science fiction, fantasy and horror in general is mainly that I enjoy the stories and the characters. I'm not completely blinkered, but that's where my main interest lies. As a writer, I'm also interested in where the ideas come from and the writing. But again, my interest starts to flag when we are talking about the personal lives of creators. I'm saying that now, and then I'm thinking, well, I've got a few more years of this revisit to do, and will I change my mind about that? And will I become more interested in gossiping later on? And then, if you listen to me in this episode, you'll think, wow, that guy's a complete hypocrite. That wouldn't surprise me. This has been going on for so long now, this revisit, that I'm sure I've contradicted myself a million times. I'm sorry about that. Let's move on to the next thing that perhaps I should have talked about in our revisit of the Leisure Hive, and that is K9. I said that K9 left the show in the Leisure Hive. However, K9 did not bow wow wow out in that story. Sorry just came to me when I was writing these show notes. But in fact, the little doggy clung on until 1981, when he left with Romana in Warrior's Gate, and then occasionally appeared in specials and spin-offs. In fact, I did a whole mini-history of the different versions of K9 in pod 404, when we talked about the Rybos operation and that was back in 2019, but of course, I have long since forgotten all about that until now. JNT mentioned in the special features video that accompanied the Leisure Hive that he wanted the show to be more science-based. Honestly, I can't really tell as this is Doctor Who after all, but the JNT-era scripts, The Leisure Hive and Megalos, that I have watched play out so far, do sound 
slightly more plausible, maybe? I don't know if that is the case, or that is just me taking JNT at his word and auto-suggestion. One of the reasons for these errors and omissions is that I've just been doing this for so long, I can barely remember <laughs> what I said at the beginning of these revisits. Sometimes I'll look at the notes and think, I said that? Wow! <laughs> or, that's all I said about this amazing story? I should have said more. I suppose the other reason is that these reviews are happening mostly because after decades I am re-watching these classic Doctor Who stories in chronological order. And I'm doing it as a lived experience. I'm not looking ahead and cheating. That is mostly because I don't want to spoil my spontaneous enjoyment of the show slowly unwrapping before me. That means, apart from the larger overall picture, which I have a vague idea about, I generally don't know what's coming from story to story. Also, and more simply and admittedly, sometimes I cock up or I don't do enough research. Twelve minutes in, we are still talking about the Leisure Hive. Let us move on to the subject of today's episode, and that is the Doctor Who story from 1980, titled Megloss. As usual, let us start with some cast, crew, and production notes. The Fourth Doctor is, of course, played by Tom Baker. His companions are Romana, played by Lala Ward, and K-9, still played by John Leeson. I don't have any extra information about notable casts, although I'm sure there is. I just didn't have time to find out anything about them. The director is Terence Dudley, ditto. The writer's John Flanagan, and Andrew McCulloch, ditto. The producer is John Nathan Turner. As for locations, this was an entirely BBC Television Centre studio production at Shepherd's Bush in 1980. As for broadcast, this was story 110, or serial 2 of season 18, following the Leisure Hive covered in pod 445. It consisted of four approximate 25-minute episodes and was first aired from the 27th of September to the 18th of October 1980. Let us talk zeitgeist to give you a flavour of the day of the first broadcast. The only interesting fact I could find was on the 27th of December 1980, American boxer Marvelous Marvin Hagler trounced British boxer Alan Minter in London for the WBA and WBC title. I remember Marvin Hagler with his shaved head, and didn't he have a little goatee beard? He was kind of cool and sinister. I remember... 
that at least I liked him in the family. I can't remember if mum and dad did, because we all used to watch boxing back then, back before we knew how much damage it could do to people. I'm now, as usual, going to roll you a brief 15 second or less audio clip that I've put together. And that will just give you a brief flavour of the story. So after that, I'll tell you what happens. And then I'll tell you what I thought, and then I'll tell you that piece of trivia. Rolling clip in three, two, one. Oh no. It couldn't be a chronic hysteresis, could it? Where is the dodecahedron? I hope you enjoyed that. Let me now tell you what happens in Megalos. While repairing K9 in the TARDIS, the Doctor and Romana are trapped in a time loop described by them as a chronic hysteresis. This trap has been set by Meglos, a super-intelligent cactus from a planet called Zulfathura. Meglos wants to steal the Dodecahedron, an incredible power source from a planet called Tigella, which is a world occupied by the same species of humanoid, but split into two conflicting factions made up of sceptical technologists and religious fanatics. Meglos is helped by a bunch of space freebooters who have captured a human Earthman for Meglos to possess and used to disguise himself as the Doctor, because the Doctor is known to an important Tigellan called Zastor. And Maglos wants to infiltrate the planet Tigella. Meanwhile, the Doctor and Romana escape the time loop by deliberately altering the sequence of events that they are trapped in, and finally arrive on Tigella's savage jungle full of lethal plants. Meglos, however, arrived before the Doctor, and has already stolen the Dodecahedron, so when the Doctor arrives he is immediately arrested, accused of the crime, and is prepared for sacrifice by being crushed under a giant stone. Ugh. Meglos returns to Zolfurthura with the Dodecahedron. The Doctor proves his innocence and his death by crushing is narrowly averted at the last moment, just as the last strands of rope are about to burn through. The Doctor, Romana, K9 and a couple of Tigellan technologists follow the Freebooter's ship in the TARDIS. On Zolfa Thura, Meglos places the Dodecahedron at the centre of a set of giant metal screens and a large planet-killing beam device emerges from the sands. 
The Freebooters General Kruger suggests Tigella as its first target. The Doctor arrives, pretends to be Megalos, because they both look the same, and reverses the weapon's targeting system. Megalos separates from the possessed human, because the bonding between the cactus and the human is unstable, and scuttles away. The Doctor and his friends escape in the TARDIS, just before the planet explodes. The Doctor and Romana travel back to Tygella in the TARDIS, leave the technologists and cult followers in peace to rebuild their Tygellan civilization on the surface, with a lot of vigorous gardening, one supposes, to get rid of all those lethal plant life. As they are about to leave in the TARDIS and drop off the human on Earth, Romana says that they have been recalled to Gallifrey by the Time Lords, and that's where it ends. Let me tell you what I thought. I said in pod 445, when we talked about the Leisure Hive, how much I liked the Doctor's new maroon coat. It's all woolly and warm and trench coat-like. Looks very cosy. Apparently I'm not the only one. The second in command is a chap called Lieutenant Broderdak, played by Frederick Treves, who at one point manages to claim the duplicate's coat. The dodecahedron powered weapon of Zolfa Thura is basically the Death Star, an even more so Starkiller base from The Force Awakens. I also really like saying the word dodecahedron, which, by the way, is apparently a 12-sided object. Dodecahedron. 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 Stop saying it. Sorry, I'll move on. Dodecahedron. Ah. The talking cactus was interesting. (laughs) And the combined cactus and human was a little disturbing. A human with green lumpy skin and spikes. And we also see the Doctor in that form. But later on, when Megalos becomes a scuttling green squidgy thing, at the end, that was very silly and made me laugh. The barbarian freebooting rovers reminded me of the Graf Vindicay's army from the Rybos operation, talked about in pod 404. They may look primitive, but are high-tech. Interstellar marauders, I love the contrast. I've always liked the contrast between primitive and high-tech. Or the melding between the two. I do remember that both Leela and Jamie, who are from pre-high-tech cultures, start to learn the ways of the TARDIS as they travel with the Doctor. I find that interesting. 
I thought the sacrificial method was particularly gruesome. Poor Doctor, subjected to another potential hideous death. The god of the fanatics is called Tai. That is a confusing name choice because the word time is also used frequently in this story. There is a battle scene where beam hand weapons are used and the effects ranged from rather silly when a little gold cardboard star cutout appears at the left lower part of the screen like one of those little gold stars you get awarded at school, to really quite cool and colourful and Star Wars-like as the beams pew-pewed across the screen. <laughs> Sorry about that, made the sound effect. My penultimate point is I probably missed something, but surely the huge lethal plants of Tigella and the super cacti of Zolfa Thura are related. I don't know if that's mentioned or not. I can't remember now, even though I just finished watching the story a couple of hours ago. My final point of interest is that the incidental music seems to have changed. At one point, I heard a variation on the Doctor Who theme itself. Something I don't think I've heard before. I quite liked it. I will also say, though, that I do like the new theme music. I said it sounded quite metal, but the one thing I've noticed is it's quite sharp and piercing. It's got a lot in the treble range, which could become a little wearing. Especially in the middle eight. I can't remember if I noticed how sharp it was then, how very bright. Anyway, yeah, those are my thoughts on the Doctor Who story titled Megalos from 1980. Trivia. As I said at the top of the show, I've finally consulted that large tome with the very long title. I can barely remember. I have it right here. What was it again? The Handbook, the unofficial and unauthorised guide to the production of Doctor Who. I'm using it here to source some trivia, and frankly this isn't the best trivia. It is extremely technical, and I'm sure quite boring, but the book says that some fancy modified chroma key technique called Scene Synced was first used on Meglos, if that is the case, the scene at the giant screens when I noticed Chroma Key was not very impressive, as the Doctor's duplicate appears semi-transparent. It looked wrong, and it looked a bit rubbish. So I don't know what this amazing new technique was supposed to achieve, but it didn't achieve very much. If you work in production and are outraged by what I've said, please get in touch. I could do with the uh, excitement. And that, 
My Fellow Whovians is it for our revisit of Maglos from 1980. As I said in yesterday's show, I have one more special episode to do later tonight, and that is our 10-year anniversary show. That should be fun. I'll try and make it a little bit of a party. Okay, a party of one? (laughs) But look, YouTubers do solo shows all the time, and no one ever says anything about that. Why is it sad that I'm doing a solo podcast? Is it sad? Let me know. And, well, you know what, we'll talk about it then. I don't have anything more to say right now. Let's save it for tonight's special show. The show that you just listened to is produced, presented, and edited by me, Roy Matur, a writer. Matur is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find more about me or get in touch at roymatur.com. If you want to help, please review and rate the show on whatever platform you listen. Recommend it to a friend or enemy if you don't like it, or click on the contact or support link on the website. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. You were listening to Captain Roy's Rusty Rocket Radio Show, the UK geek podcast for science fiction, fantasy, and horror aficionados. This was episode 448, recorded on Saturday, the 2nd of July, 2022, but ending on Sunday, the 3rd of July, 2022. Happy early anniversary me and the time at the end of the show is 004139 thanks for listening be sure to tune in again and bye bye for now bye i also really like saying the word dodecahedron which by the way is apparently a 12-sided object. Dodecahedron. 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 Stop saying it. Sorry, I'll move on. Dodecahedron. Ah. As the beams pew-pewed across the screen. (laughs) Sorry about that. Made the sound effect.